This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, August 13th, the Radical Rabbit Hole edition. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, cultural critic, contributor to Slate's Karen Feeding Parenting column, and host of The Kids Are Asleep, Slate's relatively new evening chat show. And I'm mom to Naima, who is seven, and we live in Los Angeles, California. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm mom to three littles, Henry eight, Oliver six, and Teddy three. And I'm currently located in Navarre, Florida. So filling in for Dan this week, we have a very special guest host. Please welcome to the show, Deneen Milner. Hey! Yeah. Hey, girl, hey! <laughs> Deneen, for the uninitiated, is an award-winning journalist and New York Times best-selling author, I think many times over, founder and editor of the parenting website, mybrownbaby.com, and the host of two shows, Speakeasy with Deneen and A Seat at the Table. Thank you so much for being here, Deneen. Thank you for having me. I'm a big fan of the show. Oh, thank you. And and I am a big fan of you and your writing and your work and your voice. And I've been following you and reading you before I was a parent myself. And your once little people that started you writing children's books are all grown up now. How old are your children, Deneen? My once little people are good and grown. Lila is 18 and Mari is 21. My youngest daughter is about to make me an empty nester if it were not for COVID. Wow. She's going to be here for the first semester. But yeah, all of my kids are officially old enough to be gone. They're grown, grown. We were just chatting. She's like really like launched them like in a way that every parent I think would be so proud of like they found themselves and they're off to places where they're they're really growing and learning and being amazing young women. I'm super proud of them. Mari is a senior pre-med at Yale and she's just killing it there and really enjoying it. I'm kind of anxious about her going back for senior year, but she is going back because she won a research grant for some study that she's working on that has to do with women's reproductive health. And she actually has to be there. So she's going to go back to Connecticut and study on the campus. But Lila is going to be here with me for at least a semester. Like I said, I'm feeling good about that. I (laughs) I just didn't want her to go. (laughs) a unintentional small silver lining right now that you get a little bit more time with your baby. Yes. We're so excited to have you this week on the show. We're going to be talking about a couple of questions we got from listeners. We have one from a mom who's worried about her teenage son who has gone down and right rabbit hole. And we have a question about teaching empathy to little people when they're showing some signs of egotistical behavior. 
And as always, we have our triumphs and fails and recommendations. So let's start with triumphs and fails. Elizabeth, which one do you have for us this week? Okay, so I have a fail, I guess. You know, I talk about my garden a lot on the show. I love like our homeschooling and being outside and growing our garden. So we're in the season where like we're finally getting fruits and vegetables from there. And I love that we go outside to harvest them. And of course, the kids have put in all this work. Now we did get those early pumpkins from my discussion on how I had to fertilize my pumpkins themselves. But we finally got some pollinators in the garden and they helped me out. So the kids were out there this week picking their peppers. And we have all these different kinds of like red peppers, yellow peppers. But of course, because the vegetables are not grown in the store, they are like crazy looking, right? Like we don't use any chemicals. There's like worms in our cucumbers. And I'm like, you guys, this is fine. This is like how they used to do it. We were just going to cut them out and we're going to like make a salad. My kids are like, no, they don't want this stuff that doesn't look right. We've put all this effort into it and I'm trying to teach them like we can grow our things and not all fruits and vegetables need to look perfect. Nothing. They want nothing. The worms were a little gross. Okay. So we cut those out mm-hmm. and put those in the salad and then, but you know, our peppers are kind of like all mangled and there's things like shriveled on the vine. And yeah, anyway, so I'm eating a lovely fresh salad from our garden and enjoying it. And the kids are just like talking about, you know, about all the bugs that we had to cut out and how the peppers look crazy in any of this. So a fail in that I got them to grow things, but I have yet to get them to realize like the value of that and that our things don't need to look perfect to eat them. I think they've, they've just been around the grocery store too long. I don't know. (sighs) But then there's bugs, girl. Like I know. (laughs) See, I also often recommend that we raise bugs. I, I feel like that's a healthy. We should know that there are other critters that like to eat the same food as us. You're like, and I got pollinators, and the pollinators are great. And, and I'm like, wait, hornets and yes, bees that is, and things. That is exactly what I mean by pollinators. But see, I had to actually self-pollinate a bunch of stuff, which is like one of the most phallic things you will ever intentionally do with your children. Yeah. <laughs> And so when the pollinator showed up, I was like, well, phew, this part of our gardening lesson is over, you know, and then you can see everything like grow. But alas, I will, I will get them next this year. I will eat my bug fruits and vegetables. And next year, I hope that they will enjoy those too. But that's, that's, I leave you with that. (laughs) We've had worse, Elizabeth. I know, I know. We've had far worse. You know. It's, it's a small problem to have. At least I'm growing vegetables. I am very excited about that and glad to know that I could produce like one one thousandth of the calories that I needed should. <laughs> I mean, if I ate the bugs, probably more. So. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you're growing. I'm celebrating your growing just like I celebrate when I like actually have cooked the vegetable. That's instead right. Instead of See, like is, yeah, exactly. putting it in a microwave or getting it from a restaurant. What about you, Deneen? Do you have a triumph or a fail? You know, I have to go back, back into time because my kids, you know, they're good and grown. So I don't know if I have any recent triumphs or parenting fails. But I do remember one time when my older daughter, Mari, was in fifth grade. We were there for a parenting teacher conference 
And we were standing outside and, you know, the teachers always get the kids to do things and uh, draw things or display some kind of artwork or classwork outside the classroom. So you can really see what your kids have been doing while you're standing outside waiting to sit in the little chairs and get told whether your kid was good or bad. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we're standing outside and we see that they were working on adjectives. And I guess the assignment was for the kids to take pictures out of magazines and then put adjectives under them. And so, you know, like a yacht was fancy, a soccer ball was exciting, dogs were fun. But everywhere that there was a picture of a Black person, specifically Black males, it said evil. Mm. It said evil. It said mean. It said nasty. Things that were all negative. And so I'm sitting here and I'm looking, I'm looking for Mari's handwriting and, you know, trying to find that. And I'm looking at the words. And then all of a sudden I'm like, there's a pattern here. And oh my goodness, this is not cool. What is going on here? So I got really frustrated and and quite frankly, angry because I couldn't understand how the teacher didn't catch how all of these different adjectives were, you know, like just sort of spread across this big, gigantic poster out in in the hallway and she didn't notice the pattern. So we're standing there, my ex-husband and I are standing there and we're talking and another parent comes over and she says, I think you're just making a big deal out of this. Mm. And I was like, was this in Atlanta? This was in Atlanta, child. No, it was in Snellville, Snellville, Georgia. Okay. Which is weird. (laughs) Quite (laughs) different. It is. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Way different. Um, <laughs> but it was a pretty diverse school. Yeah. Like it, it, like the school was a very, very diverse school. Well, it was diverse in terms of the students, but not necessarily teachers. Mm-hmm. And this teacher was a really good teacher. And so I didn't want to like crawl into her, you know, but we were going to have a discussion. Mm-hmm. But this parent just kind of came over and tried to tell us, you know, that we were looking at this wrong. She got told and told to move away. But then when we got into the classroom, we talked to the teacher and, you know, completely used our time talking about Mari to talk about this poster. And the parenting win is seeing it, bringing it to the teacher's attention, and then going out of our way to fix that. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, like, how are we going to fix this? Because it's not good enough for you to apologize. It's not good enough for you to just take it down, which is what she did. She took it down. I need some kind of assurance that you're going to actually address this with these kids. And so she's like, well, what can we do? So I came in and I just talked to the kids and read to them Mm. for an entire couple of weeks coming in every other day and reading books to these kids and talking to them about the context of the books. And I wasn't reading to them books about the civil rights movement Mm. or slavery or, you know, anything that kind of broke down to them why what they were perceiving was wrong. I talked to them about, look at Jamal, your fellow student. You know, like, does he look evil? Does my husband look Mm -hmm. bad? Yeah. I'm sure you have a cousin. And this was a conversation I had to have with my own daughter because she couldn't understand why this was a bad thing. Like, why, why is it bad that there's evil? And I was like, when you have in your mind that 
a black person is evil, a black boy or a man is evil, then you create in your mind stereotypes. And here's what stereotypes do. Stereotypes make it so that when your cousin or your big brother or your dad or your papa is walking down the street and somebody has in their mind a stereotype that black men are evil, Mm -hmm. then what do you think they're going to think about them when they're walking down the street? What do you think could happen when they're walking down the street? And then how does that translate into... So that was a conversation that I had with the kids, but more importantly, I was reading to them books that kind of took them out of the idea of looking at Black people as enslaved people or people who were involved in the civil rights movement and looking at them as human beings. So it was books that had to do with everyday common experiences that they could identify with as human beings so that you can see these human beings as human beings. Yeah, I've noticed how much those characters, like having those characters in books, not just for black children, but like for my three little white boys too, for them to be able to say like when they meet someone like, oh, this is just like Ada Twist scientist. This is just like this character and not just like, like, yes, we study Martin Luther King and we talk about Malcolm X and, and these things, but to be able to identify characters and things they're getting, you know, also people in their lives, but things we're reading and things we're bringing in, just like you say, in a more natural context, it doesn't feel like this lesson is being forced on you. But it's just like, this is life. Exactly. That's a great story, Nadine. And that's part of the reason that we want to have you on. And today on Slate Plus, we're going to be talking about children's books and your work as a children's book author and how important it is that all children are seeing a diverse array of skin colors and nationalities and abilities and orientations, et cetera, et cetera, in their books so that they can understand the world in which they live. So looking forward to doing that a little bit later. And for our Slate Plus list, you will get a chance to check that out. So please be sure to subscribe to Slate Plus if you haven't already. Before we do the business, I'll just share briefly my triumph. I actually have a triumph this week. It's usually a fail. It's usually like, how did you fail at parenthood or adulthood this week? (laughs) This isn't a parenting triumph, but it's a personal triumph. I drove and I've talked a, a number of times in the show about being still, even though it'll be a year in October, which is crazy, I still feel pretty new to California. And I came here from New York where I've been living for a really long time and had not been driving. And so car related things are still new and novel for me in so many ways. And this weekend, I drove to Big Bear Mountain, and I drove all by myself. It took almost four hours to get there. Shouldn't have taken that long, but the traffic on Thursday was kind of crazy. And I drive the speed limit. Like, I'm not, like, in certain areas, like, once I've been on the highway for a minute, I'm like, okay, I'm cool, I'm comfortable. Like, it's the 65, everyone's driving 80 to 100. I can meet you in the 80s somewhere, you know, I I can do that. I'm not going to get too much faster than that. Driving around those mountains was like, man, I'm not going to lie. I think if I'd known how intense the drive would be, especially like that last hour, like when you're actually in the mountains. Climbing up the mountain, yeah. And you see the sign that says like 7,000, you know, miles above sea level. It's like, oh, I was almost there. I was going to the Big Bear Retreat Center. I did like a kind of socially distanced retreat with a group of other Black women, most of whom are doing some sort of social justice work, I'll say. There were organizers, folks who work in government, writers, activists. It was just really good. I was very happy and lucky to be counted in this group of people where we were like separate together for a couple of days and had our own cabins and stuff and got to just rest. 
but that last hour when you go from like the, the highway to the mountains and you're kind of just going around and around and around and I'm doing great. I'm like, this is cool. Wow. I can't believe I did this. And I noticed that people were like stopping at the, um, I think they call them the turnabouts or whatever to take pictures. And I was like, oh, I should stop and take a picture. And that was the first, and I didn't get out the car, but this was the first moment in which I just simply looked down. Ooh. And Ooh. that is when it person? hit me. I'm not a heights person. I'm not a, ma- <laughs> like, I'm not, I am a city. Yes. I take me to the 135th floor of an apartment building somewhere in Manhattan. I will feel very comfortable and I'll still get that fluttery feeling in my oh, yeah, stomach if I like different. lean on it's the totally window, different. Yes. but it's totally different. Like a Ooh. legit mountain. Oh, Big Bear is like legit mountain. It's no, a legit, yeah, yeah. like a mountain ass mountain. Yeah. So like, I'm <laughs> very mountainy. So like, I, I'm proud of myself for making it through. I'm not gonna lie. At one point, like there was like a, you know, pullover for slow drivers. So I pulled over and had to catch my breath a little bit because I was like, whoo, okay, you know, but I made it and I was there and I got to sunbathe topless and just be outside. And I went on my very first hike, bought hiking sneakers you know, that's a very big thing in LA. Everybody hikes and I haven't done it yet. And it's one of the things that you can still do, you know, and like not be close to people. And so I got to take a little hike and it was really nice. My triumph was stepping outside of my comfort zone because I am a city girl, like C-I-T-Y, like I'm dying in the suburbs out here, you know, as it is. So like taking it from the suburbs to the mountains was a lot, but I did it. You and, communed and with nature. I'm so proud of I you. I communed with nature. I did. I was, and I liked it. I was outside. I did yoga outside yesterday. Oh like gosh. I worked out while I was there. Like yesterday was too. Oh, wow. I only could do yoga outside for a few minutes because it gotten really hot where I was. But like, so I had to go inside. But like, I worked out outside and um, it was great. And I did not feel bad about Naima not being there because Naima has already been to Big Bear. That's right. And she went uh, with her dad and her stepmom and her little brother right when school ended this year. It was a trip that they planned before the pandemic. And so they modified it a bit and they got to go. And it was great. So shout out to Big Bear and to nature. That's my big triumph for the week. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Before we get into our listener questions, let's just handle a little business. Tune in tonight, Thursday, August 13th, to my Slate Live show. Yay, the kids are back. asleep. <laughs> I'm back. I know. We were going to try to do... I'm so glad we didn't attempt to do a show last week because, one, I did not leave the house in time. Like, I was supposed to do Stone's podcast. I felt so bad. I was supposed to do a podcast at, like, 5 o'clock in the evening. And I did not get on the road until, like, so that didn't happen and we were a little worried about the internet service being spotty out in big bear but i'm back and we're going to do the show again it'll be live we'll be drinking we'll be having fun and i'm going to be talking with beloved former mom and dad are fighting co-host carvel wallace Carvel! <laughs> yes, I'm really excited to talk to Carvel about lots of things. I want to hear his experiences with being like, not just the Black host of Mom and Dad are Fighting, but more so like the Black contributor to Care and Feeding, you know, because I think 
the responses that we get to our responses to uh, reader inquiries are not always the same as what some of our colleagues get. And I'll also be curious to hear a little bit from his perspective as a male parenting writer as opposed to a woman, because there's a whole lot of condescension that some of the other women, including the, the white women contributors to the column, get uh, that I don't think the men get. And I just want to know how how in tune to all that stuff he is. I want to know. And I want to thank him because he set me up for all this. Carvel was the one who recommended me to do the column. And I don't know if and certainly that's how I ended up hosting the show. So I'm grateful to him for giving me my slate life. It'll be fun. So Make sure you tune in at 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on Slate's YouTube or Facebook page. And we'll have the links in the show page. And if you missed the previous episodes, there have been three so far with comedian Roy Wood Jr., with retired porn actress Cinnamon Love, and with activist and scholar Shamel Bell. They were all very interesting conversations and you can still watch them. All right. So to stay up to date on all of Slate's great parenting content and shows, please sign up for Slate's parenting newsletter. It is the best way to be notified about all of our cool parenting things going on, including care and feeding, mom and dad are fighting and much more. And it's a fun personal email from our missing co-host, Dan Kwa, directly to your inbox each week. So sign up at slate.com backslash parenting email. And if you are looking for even more parenting advice, join our parenting group on Facebook. It's super active. It's moderated so it doesn't get out of control. I come on like once a month. Oftentimes I like just read comments I'm tagged in and like them or I read a thread that I've been tagged in and I and I like the comments to let folks know that I do appreciate the nice things you say. But don't let my Facebook aversion scare you away. It's a really great parenting community. I have a number of my like real life friends who are in it now too. It's awesome. So just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. And as I mentioned earlier in Slate Plus today, we are going to be talking about children's books with the one and only Deneen Milliner, the goddess of children's books. So here's a quick sneak peek of what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. The whole reason we read books is to like be able to experience other experiences exactly. that are not familiar to us. Right. So, precisely. Um, so what yeah. are you talking about right now? <laughs> right. So that, right. that was precisely my question. Like, because, like, what are you talking about right now? <laughs> to hear great segments like that and to get ad-free versions of our podcast, sign up for Slate Plus. It's only $35 for your first year. It's a great way to support all your favorite Slate podcasts, and you will not hit a paywall on the site. So you can keep up with all of Slate's important journalism, which is even more valuable at a time like this. So if you'd like to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, please go to Slate.com slash Mom and Dad Plus and join Slate Plus today. Finally, do not forget to tune in to our bonus Mom and Dad are Fighting episodes. They will appear in your normal podcast feed every Tuesday. All right. Let's get into our first listener question, which is being read, as always, by the fabulous Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad are Fighting, I am the mom of a 13-year-old boy who is truly a great kid. My hubby and I are the picture of white privilege in the Deep South, though we come from extreme poverty ourselves and fought our way out. We do not treat people differently based on anything, but we understand we are part of a racist system that we were raised in, and even though we are educated people, didn't really appreciate the insidious nature of this system until this past year. As such, we've had hard conversations with our son and our minority friends and are really working and striving to be part of the solution. 
I know I probably sound so white privileged right now, but I really don't know how else to say we are really doing our best to be our best people for ourselves and for our community. We have allowed our son to have a TikTok. He's not allowed to post, but he is allowed to watch different things on TikTok. On June 18th, you guys did an episode where the name Ben Shapiro came up by Rebecca, talking about her son Henry. I had never heard of Ben Shapiro, and oddly, two days later, my 13-year-old son started talking about how he felt that reparations were ridiculous, and that he should not have to pay anyone for things that he did not do to them, and complaining about Pride Month when we only have one day to celebrate the military, Memorial Day. I asked him, where are you hearing this information? And he said, have you ever heard of Ben Shapiro? Mom and dad, I literally almost crashed my car, remembering what Rebecca had recently said about this man. Since then, I have listened to Ben Shapiro, and for obvious reasons, we do not believe this is a person my son should be exposed to. And that is all I will say publicly about that guy. I know we can delete the app. That's not what I'm asking. We believe that deleting the app is not the way to teach our son to resist this type of thinking when we are not with him, and that is our goal. Resist all forms of hate speech and action and use your privilege to enact change. Now we are watching Ben together, so basically we can shred him with our knowledge and our son understating why we feel this is an inherently dangerous and ignorant belief system. We want more action though, and I started hunting for young men on TikTok that he can watch that feel differently. However, when I try to find someone who is the opposite of Ben Shapiro, I can't seem to find anyone that is not portrayed as a seriously dangerous terrorist radical, aka Ben in liberal clothing. I don't want to just not allow him to hear this information, because he is a white privileged male living in the South, and this is not the last time he will hear this garbage, and it will be targeted towards him, especially, to influence his mind. We want to, and have, taught him to choose love and resist this type of hate speech, but clearly, we have screwed up somewhere. Any advice on places to send him, and us, that speak the way teens are really taking in information? It is shocking, and clearly, we had just had our heads in the sand, how quickly he was sucked in by what I see as alt-right speech. I would love to hear your thoughts and ideas, and please don't yell at us too much. Sincerely, not raising a terrorist. Okay, well, I'm not going to yell at you too much, but I will start out by saying that, you know, I don't know who you came across on TikTok that you thought might be a counterpoint to Ben Shapiro and you found them to be Ben Shapiro in liberal clothing. I will say I'm not a TikToker. I am 36 years old. I'll admit that is not a space in which I reside uh, very often, certainly not for political education. I go there to watch cute dance videos with my kid. But I will say, while there certainly are very problematic folks that have a left-leaning point of view, oftentimes it is the same sort of issues that you have with Ben Shapiro, not in, in terms of being extreme, but in terms of being misogynistic or homophobic or racist, right? It, it's not that they're going too far with the liberal stuff and that's the problem. And if that is a concern for you, then you may want to, you know, take some time thinking about just how progressive or liberal you might actually be. So if you're offended at the idea of someone talking about, say, Black liberation or full equity for LGBTQ people or feminism, then that's not necessarily 
necessarily the work of Ben and liberal clothing, right? That's a reaction to a society in which there are systems of power and privilege that are afforded almost exclusively to people who are white, to people who are class mobile, primarily to people who are male, to people who are heterosexual, cisgender, et cetera, et cetera. That said, I think that beyond trying to find propaganda to de-radicalize your son, and that's a challenging thing. I had this conversation with some folks about that this weekend, that the left doesn't necessarily do propaganda in the same way that the right does for moral and ethical reasons, right? And so there should be a shinier, easier to digest version of here's why reparations should be available and here's why women deserve the same rights and equality as men and and here's why even, you know, quote unquote, good white folks need to check their racism. But oftentimes that information is presented in ways that are a bit headier, you know, that want you to actually take in the information and to read and to understand as opposed to simply just having some viral worthy talking points like a Ben Shapiro. It's not always as sexy or glamorous or compelling. If your son is a white male and even though his parents grew up in poverty, he has not. And so he doesn't necessarily have a reason to feel downtrodden or cast aside by society. But Folks that are talking about liberal, quote unquote, or progressive issues, they're not tapping into him and what he's lacking from his life, right? They're asking him to acknowledge the privileges that he has and how he's given a certain amount of power and space in this world that he should not be entitled to, that he is entitled to on the virtue of his birth. And telling someone, I want to take away your things is not always the best way to get them on board with your message. But It's also necessary, right, when we're talking about white male privilege. With that, I think that going beyond wanting to find a counterpoint to him, I think that you want your son to be immersed in a real political education, right? And and that's the project that you all can take on as a family. I would say, especially right now, because there's a very good chance that your life in some way has been upended by coronavirus. And even if you all are no longer or have not been under a shelter in place order, there's a good chance that things just aren't what they were, you know, eight months ago and that you have more time together in the house. And so you need to spend that time reading the people's history of the United States, right? Reading the autobiography of Malcolm X, watching, you know, the news, watching MSNBC and CNN and talking about all of the voices that he's hearing, right? And talking about why does this person turn you off? Do you think it might be because she's a woman? Do you think it's because this person is queer? Like what makes you uncomfortable about what they have to say? Um, you know, talking about Fox News, talking about fake news and dishonesty and the fact that Ben Shapiro is not just defensive in terms of his analysis, but that folks like that are spreading information that is categorically untrue. So there's no easy answer to this, you know, and it's a great thing that you, you know, say, I'm not raising a terrorist. I don't want to raise a terrorist. And now is the moment in which you're going to have to take some serious sustained action to ensure that you don't, because your child has already had his nose opened by somebody that's tapping into that thing where people want to feel centered and they want to feel important. And men like Ben Shapiro feel threatened by the idea of other people claiming their power. And look, if if you've always been able to escape accountability, if you've always been afforded certain privileges in society, then somebody saying that that's not right is going to feel like an attack. There are also people who are very clear on what they've been given and are seizing upon the minds of boys like your own as an economic opportunity, 
right? They're very clear. They think that white men should be in power, that they're in power because they deserve to be in power and they want to keep it that way, right? They're not responding to any sort of danger. Nothing's being done to them. They like the way things are and and they want to maintain that. So you are going to have to do some serious, hardcore work to address that. And you are not going to find the answers to that on TikTok. I certainly want to hear my co-hosts, if they have any specific suggestions for places that this family can turn to for reading and understanding and viewing. And I'm also going to ask that our listeners leave some suggestions or maybe some of you all that have some TikTok accounts that are, you know, better that you'd like to suggest that this kid follows. But my big thing is taking this off of TikTok and going deeper. I could not agree more. You know, this isn't about finding a TikTok page that your son can listen to that will be counter to the craziness that he's taking into his ears and into his mental space. This is about you being a parent, right? This is about you taking the time to teach your child about how to move in this world as a person who has empathy for others, as a person who is a thoughtful thinking person, And you can't do that by suggesting a TikTok page that they could watch and digesting it in 15 seconds to 30 seconds to a minute worth of video. You know, what we used to do with our kids and I, I, you know, I used to be a columnist at Parenting Magazine and we got a lot of these questions a lot of the time, you know, like, how do we talk to our kid about race? And, you know, I used to look at all of the statistics and the studies that said that white parents tend not to talk to their kids about race until after something goes down, right? Like somebody messes around and calls somebody the N-word or they happen upon a white supremacist Facebook page or, or, or website or something and they're digesting this and they didn't know until it's too late. Well, you know, like the way that you talk about race is wrong, right? The way that you're you're ignoring race is wrong. You need to look at race and the conversations that you have with your children in the same way that you talk to your kids about sex. Like if your son's girlfriend pops up pregnant, it's now not the time to talk to them about safe sex, right? It's too late. (laughs) Right. 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 Same thing with race. You don't wait until your kid is listening to this garbage to like say, hmm, maybe I should have been talking to him about race and let me find a TikTok page. No, those conversations come from your family and he's taking cues from you, whether you realize it or not, right? He's taking cues from you when you surround your whole family and your whole social circle without having any black friends, without being any places where where you might take in black culture, without, you know, sitting him down and giving him books to read that stretch outside of what you think is a norm and talking to him about how to digest what he is being fed, the stereotypes and, and things that he is being fed. If he's listening to rap music and wears his pants low, but he still thinks that, you know, like he's the king of the world and that everybody else is beneath him and he doesn't understand why reparations are necessary. Well, you're not doing your job by letting him listen to hip hop music clearly. You have to sit him down at the table and have these conversations. Something that my ex-husband and I used to do all the time with our girls because race was always talked about in our house. We had no other choice because we are Black people. 
But <laughs> so you're, we, we're going to talk about yeah. this we, because you have to know how to digest what's about to be said to you, done to you, what you're going to hear. But we would sit at the table every day and have dinner. I was a big proponent of that. And to this day, when my girls are home, we sit down and we have dinner. But every day I would cook dinner or he would cook dinner every once in a while and we would sit down. That would be our time to talk and sort of digest what happened during the course of the day. And somehow we would always manage to turn the conversation to a learning experience about race. That even happened when we were going out and driving in the car. We talked to them about gentrification, just going to Target, right? When you see a bunch of, you know, low income housing with yellow police tape around it, you know exactly what's about to happen. Here's what's going to happen, girls. Watch in two months. Those houses are going to be gone. And they're saying that it's full of asbestos. And that's why they're, they're being taken down. Let's see what happens in three months when they start building luxury condos there. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about who lived in those houses versus who's going to be able to afford them now. Let's talk about the men who are ringing Target and Home Depot and Lowe's and why they're out there looking for jobs at six o'clock in the morning. And why the white women are the ones walking up to them and making, you know, these kinds of, um, you know, transactions with them. Let's talk about that. It's uh, race is all around you. You have to open your eyes and actually be smart enough to talk about it with your kids. So my question is, what is the parent doing? What books are you reading? What shows are you watching? What conversations are you having? And then who are your friends? Where do you hang out? Where do you go and find emotional, mental, and physical sustenance? And then once you do that, once you take that assessment, then you might find that you haven't been doing your job. And when you find that you haven't been doing your job, now it's your your turn to not only get your kid to reading the right books and being around the right people and watching the right television shows and listening to the right music. It's your job too. I mean, both of you guys just summed up so many <laughs> wonderful points about this. I um, thought about this also from the perspective of like, if you're sitting down and watching Ben Shapiro, and I think you both touched on this idea of like, let's not find somebody else to replace this because what you want from your child is not to go out and seek someone that's giving you the right message, right? But you want your child to be able to interpret this message and what they're receiving. Because even if you get rid of Ben Shapiro or find someone else, he's going to get this again and again and again or see it happen or whatever or hear this dialogue from his friends. And so I feel like one of the things you can do, in addition to what you, this is not like the end all. I think both of you had excellent um, points on steps to take now but also to think about talking about critical thinking. So specifically, like, what is it that rings true or that he likes about these messages that Shapiro is saying? Because he, Shapiro is in essence like a bully. Like, he comes out and he, he is preying on the minds of these, this age, you know, these teen white males, hey, you have all this and they're gonna take it from you. And even in the examples that you give, I just wonder, like, can you say... Why are you upset about reparations? How does that harm you? Let's talk about what reparations look like. Because, like, yes, okay, you, you know, if we pay reparations, like, that money is yours. But, like, they're not going to take so much money from you that you can't afford anything. Right. So why right. why is that a problem? In the same right, way right. that, like, 
why can't I? I'm a military family. I can celebrate pride. And when I'm celebrating Prime Month, I'm not like, but no one is celebrating my husband and no one is celebrating (laughs) what we do. Like, in fact, there are many people who both of those things celebrate. So I... I think when you really ask your kids, and I love that you said, do this now, because I, not perfectly, and I am certainly every day trying to do better with my three little boys and trying to do better for myself, but when they bring up these conversations or when they say things, I think one of the things you can say in a very loving way is, why do you like this message? Like, what about this? And instead of sitting down and watching it with him and saying, like, well, this is wrong and this is wrong because I think teens, sometimes that can draw them further Mm. into that. I don't know. I don't have teenagers. You're right. But I think that you can say, defend it to me and tell Mm. me what you think about this. Then let's go look up facts because so much of what is being presented and and Jamila, you hit on this is like, if you think things are too liberal, like go look at the facts. I'm not saying you have to agree with all of that or agree with every step that needs to be taken, but let's look at the facts about what has actually been done to these different groups of people by our government, by society, and then start talking about how do we make this better? Because part of what people like Ben Shapiro and the, and the, far right are trying to make it feel like is this is a scary time to be white. And the reality Mm. is that we have been given so much privilege by society that bringing everybody where we are should not be scary. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you do the reading, because that will inform what you're saying, what you're doing, um, then these conversations become a little bit easier to have about the actual thing. Because Ben Shapiro is not defending any of these things. He's just saying, be scared of this. Be scared of this. They're coming for your way of life. And I think that to a white teen in this moment, male, living in the South, that can feel very appealing. And so what I think you need to say is make it such that the facts demonstrate something else. And you want to set him up so that he can go find the facts. So he can hear these things and know, like, does this check? And I think that absolutely applies to both sides, right? Like, Mm -hmm. if you hear something that too much meshes with what you think, I often think, like, I better Google this and find out if this is true. Like, this sounds too good to be true. So trying to implement those skills. The other thing I really wanted to say is that if you are listening to this and you have kids like me that are eight, six, and three, you have to do something now, no matter how young your kids are. And like you said, having those conversations um, with them when you're driving. And you guys, your kids ask you. They ask you about these things. And all you have to do, like you don't have to read a book about when the moment is. They see things and they ask. And it is the most natural time to just have that discussion. And it doesn't have to be weird. And it doesn't have to feel awkward. And the more you talk about it, the more it'll just be something you talk about. That's right. But I... I think so often we're scared of making kids scared, but all we're doing is delaying that to this moment. So if you, if your kids are armed with this knowledge that these things exist, when they get to be teens, I think then this conversation is, is a little bit easier to have. I feel for this mom, though. I mean, this is like my... I joke all the time that like having three boys it's like, big fear. is my big fear. It's my big fear. I feel so lucky to be raising three little boys. I love them so much. And they like no matter how much change happens like in in 10 years and 18 years when they're older like we're still going to live in a world in which they are privileged and they are in charge and i i want them to know that and want to make change and not be here and it's hard 
and it's scary. And I, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it, yeah. Um, it's very hard. That's, that wasn't to like ask pity. Yeah, I just yeah, want to yeah. add, I think it's important that the, you know, the letter writer that you and your household, that you all are very clear that there's a difference between having differing opinions, right? Because one thing that the right does so well is pretending that, you know, it's not fair for you to say, I can't, you know, you can feel the way you feel. You can think Black Lives Matter. Why can't I think that they don't? You know, like you can say it's okay. You think that women should be able to do what they want with their bodies. Why can't I say that they cannot, right? And and really making a distinction between one, truth and falsehood and understanding how things work. So the idea of I, why should I have to pay back reparations for something I did not do is dishonest intellectually because it erases the value of white privilege and, and what this historical wrong and, and the continued wrongs that have happened as a result of chattel slavery, how they have benefited people who, quote unquote, never, you know, I haven't done anything, my family, you know, I didn't own slaves or whatever. But also point out how much money the United States government spends in his name right now, right, on things that he would not believe in and things that he might not find okay. And I think that that part is so often missing that it's easy to just, you know, like, because this is just propaganda. These are just headlines. So it's just like, you know, you have the visual of you having to write a $200 check every month to some Black people who are just sitting on their butts, as opposed to thinking that in the same way that your tax money pays for roads or should or pays for schools and pays for wars and pays for violent policing and has certainly paid for a lot of things that most of us on both sides of the aisle might not be in agreement with. That that is what the idea of, of reparations is exploring, not, you know, that you have a personal toll that you will experience because there's a conversation about making Black people whole in terms of what's owed to us by the United States government. So, Thank you, letter writer, and we wish you all the best. You've got a lot of work ahead of you, but, you know, as Deneen said, Black families, other families of color, families where there are queer parents or queer children or trans children or trans parents, et cetera, et cetera, do not have the ability to just wait until something has happened to talk about identity. For too long, a lot of white folks have acted as if simply talking about race at all you know, is a bad thing, that black is a bad word, you know, like you want to watch somebody get really uncomfortable, ask a white person to read a sentence that says black or African-American, you know, and if that's the case with you, if you thought that just being nice to people, not saying bad things about people in front of your child was enough to keep them from harboring some really ugly attitudes about other groups of people. And again, this can include women. So be clear, like the Ben Shapiro's of the world are not just a danger to people of color. Right. And and there's a lot of white women, a lot of white mothers who have not made the commitment that you're attempting to make that that Elizabeth has made to saying, I'm going to raise boys that are healthy, well adjusted, that love themselves, but also do not feel entitled to run the world. That's the task before you. So good luck. No pressure. But all of our lives depend on. <laughs> That's right. You should feel That's the pressure. Right. I think if you That's don't feel right. the pressure, you need to do some more reading. That is very fair. Thank you, letter writer. Best of luck to you. And if any of you all have a question for us, please send it in at slate.com. On to our second question, again, being read by the fabulous Shasha Leonard. Dear mom and dad, help. My super egotistical four-year-old's behavior is driving me insane. 
My first child has always been very willful and extremely verbal. We've made the mistake of treating him with more expectations than are age appropriate. But due to his verbal skills, it is so hard not to. He can tell me exactly why he's not supposed to do X, Y, Z, but then he does it. Our biggest issue right now is daycare. Our daycare has been open during COVID. His social skills with the kids have always been a little challenging, but it seemed age-appropriate until this year. He seems to seek negative attention by knocking over kids' towers, ripping up their papers, etc. Not all the time, but when the mood strikes him, I guess. He does this with his baby sister. Thankfully, she doesn't care. Yet. He doesn't listen when someone says no. Adults, kids, you name it. He always has to do it one, two more times before the person gets super frustrated. I'm a pediatric physical therapist, and I work closely with pediatric occupational therapists. I'm constantly asking them if they think this stuff is normal, and they always say they feel it is at this age. Daycare does say this egotistical, narcissistic behavior is normal at this age, but they continue to comment that social skills are still challenging. My fear is that he will get older and into bigger classes and alienate himself from his peers as well as get a bad label from the teachers. How can we help him learn empathy? How can we help him listen when someone says, stop? Well, I say welcome to the fucky force. I've been there twice and I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to, to enter it again. Um, with the virus. With the virus, Tony. The virus is October will bring his four-year-old birthday. So I do really feel you. I have been through this with not sweet, weird Oliver, but with Henry. And then now Teddy is definitely approaching this. First, I think I say this a lot, like don't board the crazy train. When you're dealing with these kids, the first thing is to sort of take your emotions out of it and be able to say like, okay, this child is not me and I'm doing my best to raise this child, but they are also like their own person. So I don't need to assign to them all of this anxiety and fear and craziness that I have about this behavior. So um, from that perspective, I try to say like, okay, why am I seeing this behavior? Because for the most part, kids are not trying to be assholes, right? I mean, they, they are a lot of the time, or at least some of mine are, but in general, I feel like I'm seeing some other kind of emotion. And so what I like to do is do the like name it to tame it. Like when you knocked that over, it must have been because you were angry. You know, were you trying to get your brother's attention? We have a lot of that. But trying to help them identify what that feeling is and why they're using this behavior. I think then the thing is, is to not necessarily like jump on and correct the bit like we don't knock things down then people won't be our friends like that is just like white noise to children right like if you are doing something you don't want that either they want to feel kind of heard and then help them like well if you are angry we could hit this pillow or we could scream or we could you know some other way if you think it's anger if you think it's like attention you can say we could build this with them i think that at four like role playing is really great with them at home using their toys and practicing there's not much you can actually 
actually do about the daycare situation because you're not there. I think you could talk to the teachers about how they handle that. But setting up a situation and saying, like, when you go to enter the play, like, I see you're building this tower. Could I build you build that with you? It'd be really fun if we did this, like role playing that you're entering that moment. And the other thing is, I think trying to be action oriented. So, so often we want to like parent from the other side of the room. I mean, I get it. I am like tired and don't really want to get up for the hundredth time to fix whatever fight. But my physical presence going over and holding their hand and saying like, when you knock this over, like I see that you're angry, but you made Oliver really sad or you made me very sad or, or whatever. How can we fix this? Let's build this together and offer that like teaching that act of the apology. I do think there's some like kids do this and they want to see a reaction. So don't you know, beat yourself up about it. Certainly, if this continues to go on, you could say like, well, do we have a sensory issue here? Like, is it more about the like knocking it over? Is there some sort of issue in feeling heard or feeling that which is why he's just saying no over and over again. But I think that the thing you can do right now is try to have your child know that when these incidents happen, that there's like this system that you're going to follow, you're going to help them process the information and move forward. I There were two books there. There's one called The Way I Act and the other's called The Way I Feel. And they're both by Steve Metzger. And they're just wonderful, like, big illustrations with different names of feelings and names of actions. And that was something that has really helped my kids tie how they're feeling to these pictures of kids doing different things and giving them that vocabulary to be able to tell me how they're feeling. Because if a kid says, like, I'm frustrated, you can say, like, okay, that is really frustrating. Um, And be able to go from there to be like, but knocking down a tower is not the best way, you know, or ripping up this piece of paper. But eventually, as adults, we kind of learn, like, I have that feeling inside, like, I have certainly wanted to kick something or wanted to rip something, but helping say, like, this is just frustration. And how does an adult deal with that? Like, that is the path you're leading your kids on. But I also want to say hang in there because it's tough. (laughs) I love that you're advocating teaching the child emotional intelligence. That's exactly what we should be doing as parents. But I'm also a firm believer in some consequences. Like, if you're going to act a fool, you're going to get treated like you're acting a fool. Now, if I told you to stop and you felt the need to do it two more times before you actually stop, well, now this is a conversation that we need to have. And it's it's not necessarily about your feelings and your emotional intelligence. This is about you not listening to what I said to stop doing. And so now we're going to come over here and have a conversation about it. And if it happens again, then there's some consequences that need to be had, right? So like God knew my skill set and he just needed to send me some kids that listened (laughs) because my patience is thin. I didn't believe in in hitting children, right? And never hit my kids. That was, that's not what I'm saying when I'm talking about consequences. Um, (laughs) Please no, I'm not saying beat your children. No, don't, don't hit the, don't hit the babies. That is not a good way to teach them anything by, by physically hitting them at all. But in the times that Lila and Mari and my stepson Mozzie may have stepped out of line, we got really creative with the consequences, right? And, you know, like people sometimes, particularly in a Black community, people do believe like, you know, a, a hit on the butt and this is over. Mm-hmm. And and because we didn't think that, we got labeled as like the ones who were the weaklings amongst 
the Negroes. And so I was like, I can relate to that. I, I would say, I would, I wouldn't say that we're weak or that our kids are wild. Like, hello, I got one at Yale, yeah, one right. at Lafayette and one at George Washington. I did okay. You did great. <laughs> you did great. But you know, like putting them in the corner wasn't what we wanted to do mm-hmm. either. I just moved a chair from downstairs to upstairs. So really beautiful slipper chair that I, I bought from ABC Carpet and Home. There's a point to this story. <laughs> and it's it's a lovely chair. It's gorgeous. I paid a lot of money for it. And there's two of them. And one day, my daughter Lila thought it was a good idea to t- use her fingernail to carve her mm. name into it. And it still says Lila Childs. <laughs> to this day. <laughs> when I was moving it upstairs, I was like, look at this child's name carved into my chair. And her consequence was, hey, okay, now you get to find out how you go about fixing this. Mm. And I'm also going to need a five-page letter mm. about mm. why this was not the best idea to carve, you know, name and with your fingernail into my my leather, my expensive leather chair. Mm. But you're also going to, you're going to apologize. You're going to explain why this wasn't a good idea. You're going to explain what it takes to own something that you love, where that money comes from, how hard mommy worked for it, (laughs) how we take care of our things and why it's important to take care of our things, particularly our special things that are meaningful to us and how you treat those things. And then that's going to end with a nice little apology for mommy and also some consequences that you think that you should participate in to make up for that. And she had to come up with her own like reparations. This is what I'm going to do to make this right. Right. And so it was like, okay, I guess I can wash the dishes for a week and I can like dust the furniture that I, you know, carved my fingernail into. (laughs) If you buy me some leather stuff, I can like, you know, shine it up every week or whatever for the next for the next month. Like, you know, it, it is a matter of holding your child accountable and letting them know that there are consequences that you don't get to run around here like a little banshee and do whatever you want to. First of all, second of all, you're the kid and I'm the parent and I'm a little bit smarter than you, (laughs) no, a lot smarter than you. And you will do as I say, because by the time you get there, I've sat down, had a Coke and moved on. So I need you to listen to me. If there are reasons why we do things in the way that we do them. And if you don't understand it, well, Google exists or sitting them down and having conversation about it exists, talking about the consequences and making them come up with their consequences on how they're going to make it right is a good way to get your kid to stop acting the fool. I agree. Most children are capable of learning empathy and of learning why their actions are incorrect or harmful or hurtful in some way. It's not always easy to enforce consequences, right? Especially when your kid is super sweet and cute and, you know, or maybe they'll tell a funny joke or do something adorable or you're just so, oh, he's only, you know, he's so young. She doesn't know any better. I talk to my daughter a lot about my feelings and there came to a, a point where I was wondering, you know, am I doing too much of this? Am I giving her too much information? But I didn't want her to simply think that mom is upset because you knocked over, you know, a, a cup of milk on the couch because now she has to clean it up or, or because she told me not to have it on the couch in the first place, but about what goes into purchasing the couch, right? Like you said, like 
someone worked hard to buy these chairs and you went out of your way to do something that would not have been okay if this were a $30 chair from Target um, or if it was something that was not explicitly yours to own in that way. But this was also something that cost a lot of money and, and represents more of your mom's hard work. So not just the work in trying to fix it up, but the work it took to get it there in the first place and understanding the value of somebody works hard, not just so she can have nice chairs, but so we can live in a nice house, so we can have nice things, so we can have the things that we need. Right. And that all this stuff is connected. And so, you know, I've given my daughter some speeches. And so I've heard her dad give some. And we've done this in public. And I've seen other people's kind of reactions be mixed. You know, there are folks like we don't spank either. There are definitely, you know, a lot of people that believe in that spare the rod, spoil the child stuff. It's ineffective. If that wasn't reason enough to not strike a child, it, it does not work giving them what might feel like too much information too much about why what they're doing at, at daycare just isn't working I think would be helpful and the fact that your letter writer your friends who are working with children's mental health are telling you that look this looks okay you know like that they're not seeing any red flags raised they're like hey you know you work with kids they work with kids they're telling you that this is you know pretty much just something that they're gonna have to grow out of I'd say just as everyone shared with you here talk to your child about what they're doing, how it makes people feel, right? So it's like, how would you feel if I, you know, hit you, right? Once you've hit a classmate or, or you know, a little buddy or you've struck one of your parents. Yeah, so I, letter writer, please just continue being, you know, I, I think you may be quite naturally wanting a solution that doesn't involve having to have endless hours of conversation with your child about their behavior. Unfortunately, there isn't one. You have a four-year-old, that's what it is. There's no trick. There's no app. It, it's just part of the job. It's constantly it explaining the entire world to them. There are things that you didn't realize that you were going to have to explain, you know, why the sun goes up and down, right? Or, or why warm water is important when you're taking a bath. We can't just splash around in cold water. We won't get clean. You know, it, it, you didn't think you were going to have to until you did. And, and now you do. So I'm wishing you all the patience. I understand. I wish I could tell you it gets better. I think we talked about this. If it wasn't on here, it was on uh, the other show not too long ago. It came up that like, you know, we, the only age that really has branding is terrible too. Right. So you would think you would logically assume that at two things after two, that things get Thank better at you. three and perhaps better at four. And it's not true. Three is worse than two. Three is way, way worse. worse. Oh my two gosh. Is two is a cakewalk compared to three. Four is, it may not be harder <laughs> than three, but it's complicated in some very different ways. The more verbal they get, the more they look like somebody who understands the world and they're not. <laughs> I like right, to think right. you're going to get it at some point. So if you're in your twos and things have been great, watch out. If the twos were really <laughs> right. terrible, because Oliver was like terrible too. And after that, we've we've been okay. So I think, you know, everybody gets it. <laughs> right, right. I remember three being just like, oh my goodness. Yes, I'm what I'm actually happening? hoping our fours with Teddy will be okay because three has just been. The virus. <laughs> That is three. Uh, so letter writer, good luck with your little virus. Um, that's going to become a full blown yeah. pandemic in your house. And that's just what they do. Uh, we hope that we were somewhat helpful, even though we just kind of laughed at you a little bit. Thank you so much. Um, and best of luck to you. And please be safe with your little one being back in daycare. 
That's all for our listener questions this week. If you have any questions or any conundrums that you'd like to have us weigh in on, please send us an email to momanddad at slate.com or post it in our Slate Parenting Facebook group. Before we get out of here, let's do recommendations. Elizabeth, what are you recommending this week? I have another fun little website that we've been playing with called Chrome Music Lab, and it lets you experiment with music. It's been really fun, actually, for all three of the kids. Henry can obviously do more, like, advanced fun stuff, but even uh, Teddy the Virus can (laughs) play around with it and occupy himself, and it doesn't feel completely, like, wasted time. Like, he's learning some music notes, and you get to see sound waves, which he thinks is really cool. I would recommend a pair of headphones so that you don't have to hear their musical style as well but it's been a really nice way to just like set them and forget them while I'm uh, playing with the other two or giving them all a rotation through that so I can get some stuff done which these days is that's a good one I think we're gonna have to check that out too Chrome Music Lab and we will have links to all these of course in the show notes Deneen what are you recommending with my imprint Deneen Milner Books I have two books coming out that one this month in August and one coming out in September the first one is called Me and Mama it's written and illustrated by a woman named Cosby A. Cabrera and she makes muñecas am I pronouncing that right? muñecas they're dolls but anyway she also writes books and illustrates them and she is one of the most creative people I've ever met in my life and she has a beautiful singing voice but she has this book called Me and Mama it's about a little girl who goes on a walk with her mom on a rainy day. And it starts from the morning and tracks their sort of interactions all the way through the night. And during the story, the little girl is comparing all of the things that she Mm -hmm. has with the things that her mother has. The reason why I purchased this book for my imprint was this one page where her daughter is comparing her plastic cup to the mom's um, ceramic cup. You know, she's hitting it with a spoon and hers goes, makes one noise and she hits the other with the spoon and it makes a different noise. And her mom says, be careful because mine is breakable. And on the next page, the cup is broken and Hmm. the mom says, sometimes things just break. Hmm. And then they go on about Hmm. their day. And what I loved about that line, what made me call her agent and say, yes, absolutely. I want to purchase this book. That line just said something to me about how black mothers should be viewed versus how we tend to be viewed. You know, we talked earlier about me saying I never hit my children. I consider myself a disciplinarian, but not in the way that people think of black mothers as disciplinarians. Right. And so in this book, this mom is saying to her child, okay, you made a mistake. You did something that I told you not to do. It's horrible that my favorite cup broke, but sometimes things just break and we're going to go on about our day. We're going to understand that that we did something that we weren't supposed to do. And that's not the end of of the world. And we're going to go about our day. And it was just like the sweetest way for a mother to interact with her daughter, particularly a black mother and her black daughter in a book Mm -hmm. that can be read to everybody and that everybody can read and take notes from. And so I recommend that one. I also recommend... Mm -hmm. If Dominican Were a Color, this is also a book that's on Deneen Milner um, Books in print. And it's written by Silly A. Recio, and it's uh, illustrated by Brianna McCarthy. And the book is about 
the beauty of the Dominican Republic and all of the colors, but it's talking about all of the colors of nature and comparing it to the colors of skin tones. Mm. And if you know anything about the Latino culture, they have just as many issues with colorism as, you know, black people do. Um, And so, or with, well, they are black people. So as many as African-American people do, I'll put it that way. And so she wrote this beautiful book that talks about the beauty of all of the colors and she compares them to nature and we also published it in a Spanish mm-hmm. version as well, so that it's not just a conversation for English-speaking people. And so those are the two that I recommend. I'll read them to your babies, buy them for your libraries, take yes. them to your churches, <laughs> give them to your neighbors, <laughs> diversify yes. your friends' b- bookshelves and let them see some, some Black folks, um, you know, and, and celebrating their humanity. Absolutely. Diversify your bookshelf. Deneen, where can folks purchase your books? Or where would you prefer that folks purchase your books? Oh, goodness. You know what? I really, really would love it if folks honored and respected and um, helped out their independent booksellers. You can call your your local independent bookseller, your local bookstore, and they will order them for you just as easily as anybody else will. It may, may not show up on your door two days later like um, some of the other places where you can buy your books. In this time, when we're looking at businesses closing left and right and facing financial uncertainty, what a great way to support a, an incredibly valuable business in your community. And, and that would be your local bookstore. So go there. But of course, all of the books are available wherever books can be purchased. Awesome. Thank you, Janine. Please do your, your children's bookshelves and the, your friends' kids' bookshelves a favor and check out some of Janine Milner's amazing children's books that she's written and or published uh, by other authors. I will wrap up by recommending Girls Make Beats. It's an organization that teaches young women, I believe ages 7 to 17, music production and DJing. So my daughter is taking a remote class this week on how to produce music. She's making hip-hop beats, which is very exciting and fun for her. Her dad is a rapper and producer, so they've got all the equipment at the house already, but I think that even if you don't have access to a lot of equipment that it doesn't take much to buy what you need to get your kids started and it's so fun and there is such an important need for more women at all sides of the music business particularly behind the boards um, as musicians not just as singers um, and rappers and it's just really like today was day two and we'll have a link to the Girls Make Beats Instagram page uh, in the show notes and you can see a little video of Naima's very first production and she just is so excited and happy to hear her own music. I think it's a really special opportunity that girls can access across the world, right? And like classes like this typically would be taking place um, in person. And because of the pandemic, they're online, which means that your little one can take this class from anywhere in the world. You don't have to be based in the United States. In fact, I think Girls Make Beats is actually based in the UK. I love it. So that is what I'm recommending this week. Shout out to DJ Freedom. That's Naima's DJ name that she's chosen. She's the best, man. I love that. I love that so hard. Thank (laughs) you. That is our show for this week. Thank you so much, Janine Milner, for joining us. 
thank you to our letter writers who gave us some stuff to talk about. And if you have a question, please send us an email at slate.com or post it to the Slate Facebook group. Just search for Slate Parenting. Don't forget to join me tonight for The Kids Are Asleep and to join us on Tuesday for our next bonus episode of Mom and Dad Are Fighting. Mom and Dad Are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson. A special thanks again to Deneen Milner for joining us today. And for Deneen and Elizabeth Newcamp, I'm Jamila Lemieux. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.